0: Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's word. So we kicked off uh, a new series last week. If you guys missed out on that, then you can access it on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, and uh, just catch up on that. We'll do a quick recap, but we started off our series on unbroken intimacy, and last week we looked at God's long-awaited dream coming true. God's long-awaited dream coming true, and I said it's going to be a two-part on that specific title, so we're going to look at part two this morning, but just as a mean of introduction, we looked at this last week as well, but relationships primarily are built on common ground. If you've got common ground with someone, you can build a strong relationship with them. If there is no common ground, then you have to look for common ground. And This is a, just a side note. I heard a story once of a father that was, uh, and it was a like a, uh, not a story of someone far there in America or anything like that, but it's a personal story of, of someone I know personally who got to disciple another father. And this father was complaining that, he doesn't, to, he doesn't have anything in common with his son. They don't have a relationship. And he was complaining about, oh, but my son likes t- TV games and I like sport and my son likes um, to, 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 to play musical instruments and I'm more the the a jock type. And so there's, there's, there's nothing we like and so we can't build relationship. And the awesome advice, and maybe that's someone in this room, maybe. Um, and if it's, if it's not a son and father relationship or daughter and mother relationship, um, it can be applied to any relationship in this room. And the advice was this to the father, learn to like what your son likes. I know it seems simple. Learn to like what your son likes. Stop focusing on what you like. If you want to build relationship with someone else, learn to like what they like. It is possible. It takes a little bit of selflessness and a little less of self-centeredness, Right. Because all of our like, we, we like our things. Each person in this room, you've got your likes. But in order, maybe, to connect with someone else and build relationship with them, you need to put off some of the things you like and start liking some of the things they like. And that's really important for us with regards to common ground. Um, that God made it possible for us to have common ground with Him. God made it possible for us to enjoy in- eternal, unbroken intimacy and relationship with Him. And that had to, or that required us to receive his spirit. And God made that a, a possibility through Jesus. Now, last week, we're recapping quickly. Man chose, and we looked at Genesis, how Adam and Eve chose the knowledge of good and evil. They did not choose life. They did not choose what God gave them, what God made available for them. To choose life and intimacy with him. And throughout history, God has been having relationship with man. And we see this amazing men and women of God having relationship with him, but they lacked intimacy. Because intimacy with a holy God was only possible truly by becoming holy. And no man could ever make themselves holy. No man could ever be made holy by their works, by their doing, by their fasting, by their prayer, by going to the temple. But we could only be holy through God's work, through Jesus. And Jesus made God's dream a reality. He spread living in man and us enjoying unbroken intimacy with him. So this morning, we're going to kick off with John chapter three. You guys can follow with me on the screen or in your Bibles, but i encourage you. Uh, I think uh, we had Manaket on Friday morning and uh, we were feasting on the word. Like, okay, awesome. Let's kick off. Um, let's share a little bit of, because all of the guys at where we were gathering, we were at uh, one of our Sunday gatherings, whether Tiger Book or Rondebosh, we were like, let's feast together on the word. Let's share just something that, that stood out to be something that blessed you from the word. Why do we ask that? Is it to test you? No. It's not to test you. It's to, it's to draw from you what God revealed to you through the word. Because guess what? You've got his spirit living inside of you. So as I'm ministering, he's going to minister specific things to you, or he's going to illuminate certain truths to you that I myself have never even considered, never even seen. Perish the thought that you haven't seen something in the word. All of us can grow more in our understanding of the word. Hence, Paul's prayer for deep understanding, deeper clarity, illumination of the heart of the reality of Christ. And so it was funny because uh, at least two of the guys, they didn't make notes uh, on uh, the Sunday's message. And uh, the, because we, we forget to make notes often and, and uh, that habit is kind of uh, um, faded out a little bit or that culture. But we're reestablishing that culture, feasting on the word together and drawing from one another because you've got something to bring to the table. doesn't matter how long you've been a believer or short, um, you've got something to bring to the table because you've got God's spirit living inside of you. So I want to encourage you, as you're going through the word, make notes, ask questions, uh, highlight certain things and go back to them. Don't just listen to this word and then you're like, okay, cool. I've got that module covered. Like put it to the side, put it on the bookshelf. No, revisit the word, revisit uh, this teaching. We're putting it on SoundCloud for a purpose, not just because we don't have something better to do with our time. Okay, so make notes. Uh, mental notes don't, don't generally stick. Like, can I get an agreement? Mental notes, like if you're sitting here and mentally you're like, wow, that's amazing. Tomorrow morning or come Friday, you don't have a clue what, what mental note you took on Sunday morning at, at the gathering. So you might, uh, and I'm also uh, giving you guys uh, ample warning, on Thursday night at live group, you might get asked, sit out for your uh, word on Sunday morning. So I'm giving you guys some, some uh, crypt notes, make some, make some notes. You're going to, you're not going to look like someone who just came to church to uh, meet your wife or your husband. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, That's not what church is for, right? It's awesome. If you meet your wife or your husband at church, side note, I'm sure it's for someone, um, churches that's not the purpose of church. The purpose of church, Ephesians chapter four, is to be built up and established in the unity that we have in the spirit and the truth of the word and our mission to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. This is a training center. This is a center where family comes together, get training, receive encouragement, minister to one another, flow in the gift of the spirit, not to keep all of that amazing things happening here on Sunday because church is not just the day of the week. It's the life of Christ in the believer. And we get to live this out Monday through Sunday, but it's a choice that you need to make. And when you make that choice, my, oh, my, does your life start finding satisfaction, joy, fulfillment. So John chapter 3, verse 5 to 8, from the message, it says, Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible. A baptism into a new life. It's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that. A body, or, you know, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch. The spirit and becomes a living spirit. So don't be so surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above. Out of this world, so to speak, you know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone, born from above, by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Now, verse 5 here from the Passion, the footnote says, "Um, some uh, Some see in the water and spirit analogy the creative beginning of Genesis 1 where God's spirit fluttered over the chaotic waters. New creation life comes the same way. It was water and blood that came from the side of the Lord Jesus. He was the last Adam giving birth to his bride from his pierced side. Now let's go to Genesis 1 quickly um, on that. Now Genesis 1 verse 1 to 4. So in John 5, we, we see the writer of John talking about the, in the message, it beautifully translates the wind hovering over the water creation the invisible moving the visible. So Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Highlight that for yourselves. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated light from the darkness. This is awesome. So John is prophesying and talking about this wind hovering over the water's creation, a new creation. And this was God's design from the beginning of time. Let's go to Jeremiah quickly, another prophecy. And God said in verse three in Genesis, let there be light. Jeremiah prophesied this in Jeremiah 4, 22 to 23. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children and they have done no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. This is awesome. Again, another proclamation and and a prophecy about what the earth looks like without the Spirit of God. It is void. It is shapeless. It is formless. It's empty. It's dark. But praise God for Jesus. Praise God for God's presence, for His Spirit. Let there be light. The unbelievers void and empty. The, vo- the world, we see this throughout the world. Unbelievers are seeking to find fulfillment. They're seeking to fulfill a void that cannot be fulfilled, cannot be filled by anything other than God's spirit. The world is dark. Why is the world dark? Because they're lacking the spirit of God, which is the light of God. And praise God, you are sitting here with the answer. You are the answer to the world's problems. Why? Because you're God's address. You've got God's spirit inside of you. You receive the gospel. You've got his light living on the inside of you. What are you doing with that light? Are you allowing that light to come forth so the people around you are living in darkness, living without form, living void of of, of any purpose? Are you allowing them to taste and to see, to experience? God's presence, God's spirit inside of you. Light and life can only exist where God's spirit is present. We see this in the creation of the world. It was formless. It was without void. And God spoke the light into existence. Only in union with God do we find life's purpose. Romans 3 verse 23 says this, For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Without God, we all are short of something. The world is short of something. They do not know what that is. We know. And we're growing in the knowledge of what that means. But are you helping those that are around you that have fallen short of something, that they're missing out on something? Are you helping them to experience God and what He created them to be? To enjoy perfect union with Him. The world is short of significance. Yes, Bill Gates, all of these guys, Elon Musk. I don't really know their personal uh, uh, story and whether they are born again, whether they've got God's spirit living inside of them. We're not going to debate about that now. We're not to judge whether someone's received the spirit of God or not. But when you look at the world, there's a lot of people doing a lot of quote unquote significant things by the world's standards. But by God's standard, only one thing is significant. And it's people. It's people living for eternity. People who know who their God is. Because it's when we truly come to know our God that we can carry out great exploits, Daniel says. Jeremiah said, for my people are foolish. They have not known me. God desires for us to know him personally. That is what salvation is about. It's about an unbroken intimacy that we get to enjoy because we are one with God. His Spirit is one with us and there's no separation between us and God. No evil thing you've ever done, no sin that you've ever done can separate you from the love of Christ. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter eight. Nothing in this world can separate you from God's love. Man, that is powerful. Religion has made us believe things that are so contrary to God's word. Thinking that, When I sin and I make make a few mistakes, then I've kind of, the term backslide. Backslide and now God is there and I'm here. Now I have to like, I I need to climb the steps of, of righteousness again and holiness and I need to go to church and then I get another step and then I need to pray a little bit longer and I get another step. It's this performance mindset where Romans declares that all have fallen short. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. And there's a declaration that says, all of our, our good works are as filthy rags. Paul counted his resume, his holy living, and everything that he built up of up until the moment he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He counted all of that, those works and performance and, and his whole CV as as dung, cow poop, in light of knowing Jesus Christ. Because it's only when we come to know Jesus Christ and know Him intimately and personally that our lives find significance and fulfillment. Colossians 2, verse 10 or verse 9 to 10 says, So we're talking about falling short of God's glorious standard. Colossians 2, 9 to 10 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. This is talking about Jesus. For in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. And you are in him. This is talking about you and me. You are in him made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ. You too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and reach full spiritual stature. And he is the head. Of all ruling authority, of every angelic principality and power, man, this is a scripture that we need to really ask God to just show us continually how true this is. Because again, religion makes us believe that we've fallen short. You fell short. Before Christ, you fell short. The whole world fell short. There was no way to be full. There was no way to fill the void. Nothing can fill the void in the unbeliever. Every person on the face of the earth has fallen short. They're short of something. And that something isn't good works. That something isn't a nice house, a nice career. That something isn't some feeding scheme in Africa. That something is God's spirit in man. That is the light of God in the believer. In Matthew 5, we read about that where we are called the light of the earth. You can only be the light of the earth when God's Spirit is residing on the inside of you. And when you come to know Him personally, intimately, as Jeremiah wrote about, as we see in John 17, we'll get into that in a moment. But the awesome truth that we need to understand is that we are in Him and we are made full, having come to fullness of life. Yes, you might be feeling sad. Yes, you might be experiencing different emotions that you try and associate to and feeling of incompleteness. You are two-thirds soulish in your, in your, in your emotions, in your body. It is still being renewed. One day with Jesus reappearing, your, your whole being is going to be made new. Your whole being is going to be glorified. But at this moment, your spirit is perfect and complete. You lack no good thing in your spirit. And it's when we come to know the spiritual us, the spirit of God in us, that we, ch- we start to experience a change in our emotions, in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we treat people. But it comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. It's not striving at fruit, it's not striving at works. It's knowing Jesus and His perfect work in you that we start to live out holiness and righteousness. Let's look at Romans 3.23 from the Passion Translation. It says, for we all have sinned and are in need of the glory of God. What do we need? The glory of God. All have sinned. Not some. Not just the select few, but all have sinned. Every person on the face of this earth, by default, is born with a spiritual position, a spiritual status, so to speak. And that status is sinner void of God's spirit. And every person needs the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is not a kapow or power or... (laughs) It's not a manifestation of something natural or carnal. Now, those things are part of the glory of God, but the glory of God is something very specific. What is God's glory? What is His glorious standard? Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word Christ became flesh, human incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed these tens of flesh, Love the while among us, and we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty—such glory as an un, as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. So here we're looking at Jesus and talking about we saw a glory in him, the glory that only the Father can give, full of grace and truth. Then in chap in verse seventeen it says. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, unearned, undeserved favor, and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a little bit of a side note, but when I when I read this verse, I wanted to include it in in the the message this morning because it links into this this picture of glory. And we'll look at it in, in a moment in Corinthians as well. But a question to consider is What did God tell Abraham? We looked at this last week. God told Abraham that the nations will be blessed through you. What was that through you? Because we see here that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law is given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God made a promise to Abraham, the nations will be blessed through you. Then Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he shares with her that salvation comes through the Jews. It wasn't the bloodline of Abraham per se. It was the seed of Abraham, and it wasn't Isaac. That seed was Jesus. We've talked about this a bunch of times in the past weeks. But it's important to understand that this this desire of God for salvation to be made available through Jesus And Jesus dying and being raised from the dead and pouring out His Spirit to make available and make possible the dream of God is something that God desired from the beginning of time. Consider this question. Who came first, Moses or Jesus? Trick question, by the way. So don't shout out what your answer is. On the surface, it does seem like Jesus came before, Moses came before Jesus, right? Because if you look at your Bible you read about Moses, and then only later you read about Jesus, right? But that is not the truth. The truth is that Jesus has always been. We looked at this in Colossians chapter 2 where it says, how do you put it? For in Him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form. Jesus has always been. Jesus is part of the Godhead. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has always been there. Now consider this. In light of my question, who came first? When the law was given to Moses, was it given because, let me not ask it like that. If we see God's desire and His desire from the beginning of time in the garden, Adam and Eve, He desired for them to eat the fruit of life. If that was God's desire from the beginning of time, why the law? What came first, the law or grace and truth? Trick question. Grace and truth has always been. Why? Because Jesus has always been. Why? Because God has always been the same. The law was given because man rejected that which God desired for them from the beginning of time. Abram was counted righteous. Why? Because his works? No, because he believed in God. If you go and read through Hebrews chapter 11, all of these men and women of faith had a good report that relationship with God because of what? Because they held the law. Look at David. David, David, David. Man, he's a cool guy. He brought down the giant, but he had some, some things that he had to work out. It's so awesome to realize that from the beginning of time, yes, we see... Okay, let me, let me, let me go back to my notes. <laughs> okay, Hebrews chapter 1, let's read about this a little bit more. Grace and truth has always been there. The law wasn't given before grace and truth. Grace and truth was always there. God's grace, His mercy and His truth was always there. But people only saw it in glimpses, in pieces. We see this in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews writes and he says, verse 1 to 2 from the Passion... Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by His prophets in many different ways. The revelation He gave them was only a fragment at a time. Say fragment. So it's only a portion. It's only a piece of a puzzle, right? Building one truth upon another. So it's not changing a truth. It's giving different little truths that adds to a greater truth. Verse 2, but to us living in these last days, who's that? That's me and you. From the time Hebrew was penned down, that was a reality. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. The manuscripts actually read this phrase as God now speaks to us openly in the language son. God's language to you has always been and it's always desired to be father, son, father, daughter. Another way to see this in the language shown is God speaks to you, Jesus. He doesn't speak to you, law. He doesn't speak to you, do. He doesn't speak to you, don't. He speaks to you, Jesus. He reminds you of Jesus. He reminds you of Jesus' payment for your life. He reminds you what that made possible for His Spirit to live inside of you, for you to have unbroken intimacy with the Heavenly Father. That is His language to us, Jesus the appointed heir of everything. For through Him God created the panorama of all things and all time. Again, from the beginning of time, Jesus was. Jesus is and Jesus will always be. Hebrews 1 verse 3 from the the Good News translation says, talking about Jesus, He reflects the brightness of God's glory and is the exact likeness of God's own being. Sustaining the universe with his powerful word. After cheesing. cheesing. I like cheese. Cheeses is the best. (laughs) After achieving forgiveness for the sins of all human beings, he sat down in the heaven at the right side of God, the super or supreme power. After achieving forgiveness for the sins of all human beings. This is powerful. We can so easily read past, past little significant things because we often want to read the word of God in a sense of, okay, cool. I need a little bit of encouragement on patience. Let's go to the word and, and find scriptures on patience. And then I'm like, be encouraged by that. Or uh, I, I want a little bit of, um, going to use a bunch of examples and i'm going to step on toes and praise god he can uh, bring healing to your toes we want advice on marriage and we go to bible like okay marriage weddings like what can i find here we go to the bible and we read it as a topical book we try and study the word through topics the bible's got one topic guys paul said there's one doctrine Not 500 different doctrines. There's one doctrine, it's the doctrine of Christ. It's the message of the gospel. So when we go to the Bible, we need to read it in light of that one doctrine, not in light of what you feel like taking out of the Scripture. Because then you're diluting the Word. I'm not saying you're sinning and you're missing the plot completely, but you're diluting the power of the Word. Galatians chapter 2. We see this, and Paul writes about this, Galatians 2, verse 21. And there's a a different context here, but it's applicable to what I'm sharing with you guys now. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the Lord, then Christ is dead in vain. You are frustrating the power, the grace of God, when you are trying to have relationship with God through anything other than what Jesus made possible for you. You're frustrating. Another word frustra- for frustrate is nullify, nullify, make void, block. You are blocking the flow of the grace, the power of God in your life when you're trying to make the Bible a story or a, a topic that it was never created to be. There's one story in the Bible from the beginning of time. There's one desire that God has for man. And it's to know Him, to know Him intimately, personally. To be convinced of His love for them. Jesus reflects the brightness of God's glory. And is the exact likeness of God's own being. Sustaining the universe with His powerful word. After achieving forgiveness for sins for all human beings, He sat down. It's only after Jesus accomplished that very thing. What? Forgiveness of sins for the whole world. That God's glory was perfectly manifested and seen upon Christ. Up until up until that time, the work was not complete. The glory of God was, was very vague. We see this in 2 Corinthians. Let's go to Second Corinthians. Talking about the glory of God. What is the glory of God? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, from the good news, it says, The God who said, Out of darkness the light shall shine, again, from Genesis, it's the same God who made His light shine in our hearts to bring us the knowledge of God's glory shining in the face of Christ. So what is the glory of God? It's the light of God shining from the inside of you. And where does that light come from? Why is it there? Because His Spirit is living on the inside of you. You are the glory of God. If you've received the Spirit of God, you are His very glory. Man, this is awesome. Some of you are not so excited about this, and uh, man. It's it's very it's very difficult to get a um get a fire going with, with wet wood, right? And it seems like a few of you your your, your wood is wet. So uh, go and lie out in the sun a little bit and just drive so we can get the fire going. Jesus had one single purpose. John 17 verse 1 to 5. Let's look at that a little bit in context. And it says these words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, "Father, the hour is come; glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him." What was Jesus' single purpose? Why did He have power? His power was so that He can give eternal life to as many as God has given Him. And this eternal life, and this is life eternal, Jesus defines for us, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thou own self, with the glory which I had before the world was. Again, before the world was, Jesus was. God's desire was for man to receive His Spirit. For them to know Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And man, do we get to know Him today. 2 Corinthians 3, 8-11, from the Passion, we're coming to a close. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us. Where does this glory come from? It shines from us. Verse 9, For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, and this is talking about the law of Moses, how much more, say much more, How much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? Say, excel in glory. Verse 10, what once was glorious no longer holds any glory. Does it still hold some glory? It no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory. But now we embrace the unfading ministry of permanent impartation of glory. Why is it permanent? Because we live for all of eternity. Why do we live for all of eternity? Because we've become one with God. Verse 18 from the Passion in 2 Corinthians 3. We can all draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces. Now this is important. I'm just going to pause here quickly. When you talk about drawing close to God, it's not talking about a separation. It's a, it's a metaphor of marriage, right? Where the, where the bride comes down the aisle, she meets the bridegroom, and she's unveiled. And when she's unveiled, she's never veiled again. That would be strange, right? So it's talking about a metaphor. When we read metaphors in the Bible, we can't take it literal. And read it, and make up a doctrine that contradicts the one doctrine. Why did we open up and worship Hebrews thirteen verse five? That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So he never leaves you; doesn't forsake you. So you cannot draw close to God in a literal sense, in a in a in a me being closer to this pulpit sense. That's not what the author is talking about. Let's continue reading. So I just wanted to kind of insert that we need to be wise. We need to ask. Uh, Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to be students of the word. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We don't work at reflecting the glory of Jesus. We look. Why do we look? Because it's when we look, it's when we come to see who God is. It's when we come to see the Father, Ephesians chapter 5, beautifully. In the message translation says, look at what your father does and then you do it. Like sons who learn proper behavior from their parents. That is God's invitation to us, to look to Him. To look to Jesus and that will usher in a glory in our lives will bring a manifestation of God's presence in our lives that we won't be able to contain. We are being transfigured into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So again, this is the glory of God, God's Spirit in man. God's Spirit is His life inside of us. This is God's glory and perfect manifestation. Before Jesus accomplished this, before Jesus poured out His Spirit, this glory was a a blurry glory. It wasn't a true glory because it wasn't eternal. And that's why, as the writer says, the glory of Moses, as soon as it was there, it started fading already. As soon as the people looked at Moses and they saw the glory of God, it immediately in an instant, started fading. Why? Because God's Spirit wasn't living in Moses. Why not? Because Jesus hasn't died yet. Jesus didn't overcome death yet. And Jesus didn't make the Spirit of God available to man to live inside of them to make his abode in. This is awesome, guys. This is exciting. Thank you, Jesus, for his Spirit, for God's glory that's in our lives and that it can be manifest through our lives. Before the Spirit of God, before it lived in man, God, God's perfect glory was yet to be revealed, and that's the purpose of the New Testament letters. The Bible's got one story, Genesis to Malachi, prophesying in parts, little puzzle pieces of a greater puzzle. Don't go to the Old Testament and pick out a puzzle piece and then go make a doctrine of that puzzle piece that is completely different to the rest of the puzzle. It's one puzzle. The Bible's got one puzzle. And we see little puzzle pieces in in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. And then we see the life of Jesus throughout the Gospels, the book of Acts, where it's recording a manifestation of some of these things. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus did. It's pointing to the work of Christ and why He came to earth. And then we see the epistles. And what's awesome about the epistles, it's like building a puzzle and you've got the actual picture. Who's ever built a puzzle and you don't have the actual picture? Anyone you tried? I'm pretty sure it's quite difficult and that puzzle's probably still not built yet. Right, guys? It comes with a picture. Why does it come with a picture? So that you can see what the bigger picture is. And not just see the little puzzle. The epistles is the puzzle picture. It's the reality, as Paul writes. It's the fulfillment. It's the mystery of Christ revealed. Which is what? Christ in you. The Spirit of God in man. That is what we're celebrating over this next uh, term, probably a little bit longer, we, we're magnifying and we, we're putting an emphasis on God's Spirit that's been made available to us and, and why we get to radiate the glory of God. It's because His Spirit. The light of God is inside of us. We get to radiate that to the world out, uh, around us. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.